your Bibles, please, for our first reading, our New Testament reading, to Ephesians, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. <clears throat> Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering, and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you, as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. <clears throat> Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye, are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, <clears throat> redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands, in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself 
a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. All right, so in Ephesians chapter 5, notice the word therefore, be ye therefore followers of God. This is the fruit of putting off the old man and putting on the new man that is continued here in chapter 5. What we heard about midway through chapter 4, now continued here into chapter 5. Those of you that are reading through the scriptures for your New Year's, one of your New Year's duties that you're going to take up and reading through the Bible in a year or so, will remember the old adage, right? If you want to uh, read three chapters every day and five on Sunday, that'll get you there. Three chapters a day, five on Sunday. That'll get you through the Bible in a year. If you want to do it in six months, double that, right? Some of us are a little bit beyond that. This, this year, having failed miserably last year, I'm, I'm going to take it up again with a little bit more determination and the Lord's help, Lord willing, and, and uh, follow the example of William Googe and try to get 15 chapters every day. And so far, so good, but it's only been a week. But pray for me in that. I would appreciate that. So here we are now. Um, what I was going to tell you in this is that is that very often it, it will be encouraging to you to order your reading in such a way that you're reading, especially in, say, the minor prophets and in the epistles of Paul, to read through the entire book at the same time. Violate the chapter breaks and read straight through. If we read Ephesians straight through, I, I am certain that, um, that the colors in that book will become brighter for you, if, if, if I can put it that way. That some of the details that are in the book will jump out a little more clearly than they otherwise would if you stopped at the end of every chapter. Just reading it straight through. We've seen a lot of connection that normally we would not see simply by bringing those things up as we reach back from chapter 4 to chapter 2 today, right, in the, in the concept of having one new man and what that is. Okay, so now here we are, we're applying this new man principle. Paul is still speaking primarily to that Gentile audience in Ephesus. We think that that was primarily a Gentile church there. And so we would expect to find that kind of emphasis, as we've already seen in the book. So now what what he tells them to do is that they are to be followers of God and walk in love. And when Paul will say walk in love... May I say, if I can put it in modern language, that's a dog whistle call. The dog whistle is walk in love means we want to keep the commandments of God. That's what love is. Love is not 
palpitations. Love is doing our duty toward God and man. Jesus says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. How do we love God? Simply with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, A little bit later on in this service, we'll be talking about Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments are pointed directly Godward. This is the expression of how we learn to love God by keeping those commandments toward him. And then how do we love our fellow men? And I always want to add our fellow men under God, because if there is no God, there's no reason to love your fellow man. Right? So then how do we love our fellow men, uh, our, our fellow human beings under God? Well, that's commandments 5 through 10. Right? And yet the 10th commandment is sort of an epilogue on the whole, which teaches, us, which teaches us about heart religion. So Paul will say, walk in love. That means walk toward God in a way that is according to his commandments with joy and cheerfulness, and then walk toward men in a way that is in keeping with God's commands uh, with joy and cheerfulness. Walk in love. <clears throat> That's what it means. So um, notice that Christ has given us the example of that. Um, that this love is sacrificial and redemptive, as we've said before. Love is sacrificial and redemptive. Uh, the, the other love, love chapter, 1 John 4, teaches us that God so loved that, he, that he, uh, he gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He was concerned in sacrifice, giving his son, and he was concerned in our spiritual good, propitiation. That's what love truly is. It's seeking everyone else's good before your own, and in that, glorifying God from front to back. Okay, so love is not, you know, I love you, gee, you make me feel so good. Proper biblical love might even be, I love you even when you make me feel so bad. Right? Even when, even when it's hard, I, I, I'm serving and sacrificing and, and laying my life down for you. That's how love is expressed. Jesus didn't love us because we were lovely. We were sinners. Okay, so now we're going to put some things away. Oh, one more thing. This sweet-smelling savor. He offered himself a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. In that Paul uses that language, he gives us proper typological understanding of every Old Testament sacrifice. God doesn't have nostrils. We get that, right? He doesn't have a nose. However, he smells the sweet savor of Christ. The sweet savor of Christ is that obedient son offering himself for the sins of his people such that they all might be saved from the wrath to come. That's the sweet savor that God smells in Genesis chapter 8 when Noah offers an offering and every offering since then. That's the savor that God smells and is satisfied. And pleased. Okay? So every one of those sacrifices being a sweet savor to us because we like the smell of grilled meat, right? God receives the savor of Christ. Okay, so now verse 4. Sorry, 3. We're, we're, we're putting some things off here. Fornication. Let's make sure we understand what that is. That is human intimacy in any form outside the bonds of marriage. In any form. Okay? All uncleanness. That has to do more with more wicked practices. Covetousness. That means these things begin in the heart. 
let it not once be named among you. That doesn't mean it's never going to occur. But it should never be a part of the description of who we are as God's people. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving a thanks. If you read some of the older commentators on verse 4, you'll find that all of these things have a, a sexual connotation. That that's what's going on. That, that Gentiles were a particularly ribald people. And so Paul is saying, you come into the church, you leave that out. You come into the church, you come in as a holy people. Right? Remember that that. Uh, standard issue, the, the trowel that every Israelite sh- soldier had because he was not to relieve himself inside the camp because God dwelt in the camp. God dwells among the people of God and so those people must be holy. We're not talking about sinless perfection but we are talking about certain things that are simply off the radar screen. And he's going to make this very clear in the next verse. Listen to what he says. For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye therefore not partakers with them. There are some sins in the Bible if they are practiced. We are not left as the people of God to question the spiritual estate of that person. There's no question. All of those questions have been answered. If someone is, for instance, uh, uh, the term used here is whoremonger. Um, You know, these are older words and it's difficult in mixed company. But any, any person that offers you that kind of intimacy outside the bonds of marriage is whorish in that sense. A harlot or a fornicator in that sense. So a whoremonger is one who frequents that. If someone frequents that behavior, understand this, no matter what he says, standing on one leg, jumping up and down, and insisting, insisting, insisting that I'm a Christian, the answer is no, sir or ma'am. You're not. You're not. Paul will say, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. And we're not talking about a sin that is committed and then repented of, and we don't go back to that well. What we're talking about is a life, a habit. And beloved, that habit is unchristian. Period. There there is no more comment. No matter how widely it is accepted, even applauded and encouraged in present society. Paul will make sure and tell us that it is indeed off limits for those who name the name of Christ. Okay? Um, You might jot down in your notes if you're taking notes. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. Then he goes on to to say something that I think is necessary to be said in our age and in every age. And that is, let no man deceive you with vain words. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand, Pastor. I have grace. Those words are vain in the mouth of a fornicator. You don't get to say that. 
Those are vain words. Those are vain hopes. Those are empty assurances. And there will be a day, unless there is repentance from that sin and a a turning to Christ, there will be a day when those words will stop in the throat when they stand before the judgment seat of God. So those of you who are growing up, you're in your early or later teens, you have the whole world telling you to go for it, that's unchristian. And it is judged with eternal fire. Don't mess with eternal fire. Just don't mess with it. Turn away from it. Okay, so that takes us down through verse 7. Now Paul will speak to the Galatian church, I'm sorry, the, the Ephesian church, and he'll tell them the reason you don't do that anymore is because you were sometime darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. If you continually go back to that well, you're not children of light. That's how the children of darkness behave. And that's where wrath comes from. Upon the children of disobedience. You are children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Proving, that is making manifest what is acceptable to the Lord. What is acceptable to the Lord? What did he, how did he tell it uh, to the Thessalonian church? He said that each of you know how to possess your body in sanctification, holiness, and in honor. That's what the will of the Lord is. This is the will of the Lord, he will tell them, your sanctification. That each of you know how to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. That's what his will is with regard to human intimacy. One man, one woman, one marriage for life. That's it. That's his standard. Now that doesn't mean there is, there's no such thing as people being wronged in a lawful divorce and remarriage. But those are circumstances that, need to be, that, that we need help with to work out. But this penchant today for uh, going from bed to bed to bed or from ring to ring to ring. That's simply unchristian. It's outside the pale. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And then he says, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. What does he mean by that? Here's how far we should stay away from that. That's what he means. Keep yourselves so far separate from it that you don't even talk about it. It's a shame even to speak about it. So then... He will say that all things are repro- uh, that are reproved are made manifest by the light. And so we are to receive the light of Christ and then to shine that light around us. And not to walk as fools, but circumspectly instead. Redeeming the time because these days are evil. And if it was evil in the Ephesian world, it is evil in our world as well. All right, so then what should we do instead, Paul? What are the things that we should take up instead? And so now, again, let's flow into the context here. The first thing is ecclesiastical. The second thing is familial. The first thing we do, instead of speech that is shameful and ought not to be taken up, he'll say, be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, or more literally translated, be spiritually full. Not full of wine, not full of carnality, not full of indulgence, but spiritually full instead. And what do folks that are spiritually full do? 
They speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They sing and make melody in their heart unto the Lord. They give thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they submit to one another in the fear of God. You see how the context works? So put off the old man, put on the new. We're continuing in that vein here. Now, there are some things here that we want to understand. When we say, be not drunk with wine, we don't mean that every sip of wine is a sin. We mean that drunkenness is a sin. Drunkenness ought never to adhere to the people of God. Whereas a glass of wine can be enjoyed. Rightly. Um, But it must be rightly enjoyed and not sinfully enjoyed. And so temperance is always in order in all things. It used to be you said the word temperance and that meant total abstinence from alcohol. That's not what we mean by temperance. We mean make sure you're controlled in that. Don't overdo. Um, Then we move on from that. uh, Be filled with the spirit. Be spiritually full. That's the literal translation. And what what he is meaning here, uh, the the, uh, parallel passage in Colossians tells us, he, he will say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's semantically parallel to be spiritually full. In other words, as one popular preacher once said it, to have your mind saturated with the word of God is to be spiritually full instead of full of wine or any other such thing. So intoxication is a sin. Uh, Proper enjoyment, temperate enjoyment is not. But the goal in all of that, whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, to do all to the glory of God and to have the right kinds of things in our minds and in our mouths. And this is what the apostle is talking about here. So speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, That's not uh, psalms and then uh, 100-year-old hymns and then uh, praise choruses. That's not what those three terms mean. Those three terms are tied to the scripture. The Bible makes, makes it very plain If you look at the Old Testament translation into Greek out of the Hebrew called the Septuagint, you'll find that the Psalms in that book of the Bible have titles like the Hebrew Bible has titles. And in those titles, the Psalter refers to itself in the Greek as Psalmos, Hymnos, and Ode, or Psalms, Hymns, and Psalms. They're different kinds, they're different types. You know, we divide the Psalter sometimes into five books. There's five books in the Psalter, books one through five. But there are other divisions that we can make as well. There are penitential psalms. There are triumphal psalms. There are psalms of praise. There are psalms of crying out to God for deliverance, right? There are Christological psalms. In other words, there are different types of psalms within the 150 psalms. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are three types within the 150. Okay? So it's not that psalms, hymns, and songs mean exactly the same thing. They mean there's a nuance of meaning different in each of those terms, but they all refer to the inspired Psalter. And this is a threefold synonymy, which is very common in Paul's writings. We saw it back in chapter 2. You remember I pointed it out to you when we were in chapter 2? I said, "Keep, keep this synonymy in mind. Among whom we all had our conversation time past in the lusts of our flesh. Oops, sorry. 
one one verse up ahead of that. According to the course of this world, the prince that worketh, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. A threefold synonymy there, with slight differences between each term. And then when we get to chapter six, we're going to see the same thing. For we wrestle not, verse twelve, against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Four terms there that speak pretty much of the same thing with a nuanced difference. That's what Paul's doing here in Ephesians 5, uh, 19. Then notice giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father and submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, he's just been talking about some pretty wicked, uh, intimate relations. And so when he goes to correct that, what's he going to do? He's going to support proper domestic relations you see the context it's flowing right through what you'd expect if you get your mind in the context so wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands and not to any other right submit yourselves unto your own husbands in everything husbands love your wives right the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Yes, there is in the family, in society, really uh, in every human connection, there is the connection either of superiors, inferiors, or equals. There are people that are over us in authority. There are people that are under us in authority. And there are people that are equal to us in authority. Children, you are not equal to your parents in authority. You may like to think so. You may enter into uh, debate and discussion with your parents. It's really not a debate and a discussion. They have authority. They get to say no or yes. Um, What I tell mothers is, Mom, when Dad's at work, you're the mom, you're in charge. Rule over your household. When Dad's there, you rule together. Right? Husbands and wives, they rule together. And then there's a final authority in case we reach an impasse and we can't make a decision to go forward. Then there's a final authority in the head of the house, the husband. By the way, you know Pastor Todd's teaching on this. Women can serve as heads of households if they have no husband. Lydia was the head of her household. There's nothing wrong with that. We're not prejudiced against women. That's not the point. The point is that there's an order and an authority that God has placed in the world. And if we don't have that, we have chaos instead. Oh, did you look around? Have you seen the chaos? The chaos is there because we've turned away from the fifth commandment. We've no longer confessed that Christ is our head. We want to tell Christ what to do instead of him telling us what to do. Wives want to tell their husbands what to do instead of hearing what they have to say. Children want to tell their parents what to do. People that are pulled over by the police officer want to tell him what to do. We want to tell the judge what to do. We want to tell everybody what to do because we don't want anybody over us. There's a term for that. We call it anarchy. And there's another term for it. We call it misery. Because that's what it is. It's absolute misery. So yes, there is order and there is authority in the world, in the church, in the civil estate, in the family. Our creator Gave this to us for our good. Let's not turn away from it as something that the enemy of our souls would tell us it's not good for us. Actually, it is. It is. Children, we're going to get to this in the next passage, the next chapter, Lord willing, next week. And we're going to tell you that it's good for long life to obey your parents. 
right? That it may be well with, with you and you may live long on the earth. There's a promise of long life given to obedient children. That's something to remember, isn't it? God encourages his commands by providing promises upon obedience. Okay, so we see also that this love is sacrificial, as we heard before. The husband is to sacrifice for his wife by loving her as Christ loved the church, laying his life down for her and, and uh, sanctifying her with the washing of the water by the word. Gentlemen, this means you take the lead in family worship at home. You read with your wives and, and your children all that God has commanded in his word. One end of the Bible to the other. Read and give some teaching, give some explanation. If there are any sins that are seen in your reading, say, these are sins that we must avoid. If there are any examples to be followed, look, here are examples to follow. Right? There are wonderful things in family worship. And remember that our heritage as Reformed Presbyterians is that if any man refused with regard to family worship, that he came under church censure. Because his wife and his children deserve to have the Bible read to them at home because they belong to Jesus Christ. And he's to do the part of a husband, not only to provide monetarily, but to provide spiritually for them. So this is an an extended portion here uh, about men loving their wives and sacrificing for them. Um, And it is given by, by way of illustration to bring out the great relationship between Christ and the church. And so he will say in verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Reverence there, not fear in the, in the slavish sense, but that she honor and respect him in that sense. And how do you honor and respect your husband, ladies? By not being bitter, by hearing what he has to say, by deferring to him, and so on. Okay? Husbands, do not take your wives' uh, uh, forwardness to submit to you under the command of Christ uh, in such a way presumptuously that you might become tyrants over your household. Your love for your household is to be a sacrificial love not a self-serving love, right? So we have something on either side there to work on and to think about. With that then, let's stand and call upon the Lord in prayer.